Now you can clap. There you go. There you go. Thanks. All right, guys, why don't we, uh, let's all stand real quick, and uh, we're going to jump into Scripture, so why don't you open your Bibles to the book of First Peter chapter 2. If you guys don't have a Bible, we have ushers that would love to usher you a Bible, and uh, we're going to read just a couple short passages. Uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we've been actually going through an entire series in the book of First Peter, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just kind of making our way through it. Um, the book is ultimately about... Uh, it's, it's, it's a writing from the Apostle Peter to a community of Christians scattered all throughout the entire ancient Roman world, and the culture around them is very hostile. And so they're trying to figure out, how do we navigate the, the path ahead by being faithful to Jesus without giving in to the uh, demands of the culture and falling suit according to the larger schemes of the culture, and remain faithful to Jesus? That's the question that these guys are really asking. And what Peter does is he writes a series of passages and paragraphs encouraging them to remain faithful, even in spite of suffering and hardship and pressure and pain and difficulty. Remain faithful because God has been faithful to them. So with that being said, I want to jump right in. We're going to read in verses uh, 10 through 12. Again, we've been actually reading this little section for the past couple of weeks. There's a lot here, and I'll tell you why we're going to continue to read it and where we're going to be heading for the next couple weeks looking at this. So first Peter chapter two, verses 10 through 12 says this. In fact, I'm going to pick it up at verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil of you as, or speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good deeds glorify God on the day of visitation. And this is the word of God. Jesus, thank you for right now you speaking to us and we ask you, Father, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have to speak to us. And so we commit this time in your hands right now. Reshape us. Remake us, God, to become people that are like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all grab a seat? So I touched on a theme last week, and I want to continue to develop that. And I'm going to continue to develop that for the next several weeks because I think this is where the passage takes us. The theme was basically the idea of goodness, doing good. I think last week we just simply called it doing good. I want to build upon that a little bit further. And what I want for us to think about is that what has become a little bit more increasingly like apparent as I've been reading through this passage uh, with you guys, I would imagine, is that Peter's agenda, if, you, if I can use that phrase, Peter's agenda is to urge Christians, urge followers of Jesus, urge people that are being faithful and loyal to Jesus to, to not go the route of culture, whether it be by assimilating, losing their faith, or even at the same time, becoming types of people that while they're being pressured to push back, you know, when someone pushes you, you push back, you shove back harder to become people that are violent or angry or revoltive. His whole point that, that Peter seems to be making is go a different route. Become people that do good. When people treat you with evil, do good. When people are unkind to you, do good. When people are rude and condescending, do good. This is a theme that Peter seems to be suggesting. In fact, what I want for us to think about 
is that this seems to be, if, if I were to put it in this context, it's a revolution of goodness. And in fact, I, the more I've even kind of dug into this, the more I've realized, like, the Christian life is really about a revolution of goodness. It's what Jesus is. In fact, you can even look at Jesus' life and say his life is all about a revolution of goodness. He came and did good. What happens when people treat him with evil and disrespect? He did good. He loved them. He showed kindness and respect, dignity, value to people that were rude and condescending to him and ultimately put him to death. This is what we see over and over and over again. This is no doubt what Peter's doing is echoing the entire like sentiment and teaching and construct of Jesus' teaching, like for example, on the Sermon on the Mount. He's recapitulating this for his hearers to say, look, you're in a time of crisis. Your temptation is to fight back, is to become bitter, is to become angry, is to revolt. So if you're going to revolt, revolt with goodness. And this is what I want for us to consider. So again, take a look at verses 12, and then you can jump down down to verse 15. Verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that by your good deeds they may see it and glorify God. Jump down to verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, the whole idea seems to be do good. Good works. Western Christians, I would even say Western Protestant Christians, have a tendency to have this dislike towards good work. That, that shouldn't be the case. And I think that's misplaced. Now, again, be very clear, our good works don't earn us favor or merit or any type of, like, God does not, like, look at good works and be like, that's amazing. I'm going to save them on the basis of what they've done. That's not how God works. We know that very, very emphatically and clearly throughout Scripture. But those that have been redeemed and rescued by this good God, by the very nature and virtue of what they've been saved into, then do good deeds, do good works. You can think of this as a counterculture of goodness. Peter's urging the believers to do good in a world full of brokenness and injustice or badness and evil, if you want to think of it that way, by addressing their various horizontal roles and identities throughout society. So if you want to think of it this way, what we read last week was an identity or several identity markers. I should say you guys did because that was kind of how we worked it last week was you guys participated. We, by a series of questions, asked, like, what is the text teaching us about our identity? And we saw that, again, if you want to go back and look at this in verse 9, he says, you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's your identity on a vertical level. Before God, this is who you are. All of those things that you just said. In fact, if you were not here last week, highly recommend just check out the message online or our podcast. Today, he's really going a little bit further and looking at our identity on a horizontal level. In other words, within the construct of society at large, who are you? And this is what he goes on to say. Uh, again, we won't be looking at all of these this week. We'll just, in fact, we won't be really looking at any of these this week. We'll be looking at these over the next subsequent weeks. So number one, verses 11 through 12, is going to describe them as, as foreigners or uh, immigrants, if you want to think of it that way, or exiles. We'll look more at that next week. That's a really interesting word, so don't miss next week. And then the next week after that, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 25, where he describes them as, as servants. Or I'm sorry, uh, in verses 13 to 17, he describes them as citizens. Citizens. Uh, they belong to the Roman Empire, but they're not called to live as Romans. <laughs> That's, that, that would be a, a, a problem. But what he says, you guys are Roman citizens, but live as citizens of another kingdom. And that's the tricky part. 
question obviously becomes, how do you do that well? Again, don't miss these series of messages that we'll be looking at. And then finally, he describes verses 18 to 25 as servants. Servants, or if you want to think of it this way, employers or employees, people that work for other people that are in relationship uh, constructs with other people, servants. So again, what I want to do is that we will be looking at this over the next series of weeks. But the bigger question is, how does one do good in the construct of these uh, horizontal relationships that we have on a bigger broader level of life so the relevancy of this i think could not be understated so for example right now as a culture we are coming out of this pandemic 2020 and racial tensions uh, and we're looking at this broader landscape and ask this question what will our future look like where will we go uh, one thing that I can be absolutely certain of that I think you probably are as well. There's a whole lot of things we can look at and be like, I'm not really certain about that. I'm not really certain about that. But one thing I'm absolutely certain about is our world and the systems that frame our world are broken. Would you agree with that? They're broken, right? It's like, oh my gosh, that's revelation today. Pastor said the world is broken. That's amazing. Okay, y'all knew that. Y'all knew that. Obvious big E on the chart. Political system, broken. Immigration system broken education system broken families broken relationships broken many of our dreams broken broken in other words things did not work out the way that we had hoped or expected or thought or desired they are broken one thing again that can be certain as a result of this god does not revel or delight in sickness disease anxiety poverty starvation loneliness or any of these experiences that dehumanize another human being god does not sit there in the heavens and take great Delight in any of this. The good God has thought to do something about all of these. And this is what Peter's reminding us. Because God moved and initiated a movement to undo the evils and the woes and the areas of destruction and brokenness and injustices in society, we have been swept into a movement of good. And therefore, we are called to do good. Not vindictiveness, not anger, not violent revolts, not eye for eye, tooth for tooth, not cancellation for cancellation. Well, they canceled me. I'm going to cancel them. I mean, sometimes the way Christians even conduct themselves on social media, utterly embarrassing. This is a nice non four letter word I can think of. It's utterly embarrassing. But the fact of the matter is, it's like, why? Why do we go that route? Because I would say that we are all in danger of being infected by that rather than being swayed or moved or motivated by goodness, we allow other forces to move and animate our actions. So what I want to do just today, and again, this will hopefully set the stage for the next upcoming weeks, is I want to really kind of look at this subject of what is goodness. And the way I, way I want to do this, I want to, first of all, just ask the question, like, what is what goodness is not? Okay, so next slide. What goodness is not? And I just want to go through these real quickly, and then I'll kind of end with more of a positive, like, what is goodness from a biblical definition, and how do we make sense of this to kind of set the stage for the upcoming week? So what goodness is not? I think in a lot of ways, within our culture, goodness has been individualized, secularized, 
legalize, trivialize, moralize, and I'll kind of break down each one of these if you think of it this way in the concept of individualized. Uh, we, because we are hyper-individualistic and secular society and culture, we've reduced everything down to goodness, or goodness is my own subjective opinion. That's goodness. So what's goodness? It's what I like. It's my preference, my taste. Don't hate on me because of my goodness. So we have this mindset that goodness is sort of this arbitrary, subjective, emotional experience, and that's good. That's my good. It might not be your good. So again, at some point, we'll, we'll get to, to why this is questionable or problematic in just a moment. But so we see that that's, that's very common in our culture today. It's just become hyper-individualized. Uh, secondly, it's become legalized. So if the common good in our culture today is nothing more than something that's been legalized, in other words, it's, it's legal now, therefore it's good. So again, I don't, I'm not here to make any political statements, but let's say, for example, marijuana at one point was illegal, so therefore it was bad, right? It was outlawed, in a sense. Now it's legal, so therefore it's, quote-unquote, good. But again, I'm not going to get into this, because I'm on thin ice right now. But you get the idea. You, you, you begin to understand that, how some of these things begin to shape up and play out. But the point that I would make is, just because something is legalized, does that mean it's good? So what would happen if pedophilia at some point becomes legalized between consenting adults, a 14-year-old? It's okay as long as they consent with a 45-year-old middle-aged dude with a mullet. What happens then? Is that okay? It's legal. Is it good? Mm. Where it gets questionable. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's good. Um, Trivialized. Everything... Within our culture, we just tend to trivialize it. So, for example, we have books. There's a book at one point that was from good to great. Maybe some of you've read it. And again, I'm, I'm not making any comment at all whatsoever on the book. But just the idea within the topic of that, good is subpar. Great is what we aim for. So if I were to ask you, hey, how was, uh, how was the restaurant? You're like, eh, it was good. What did you really say? You basically said it was horrible, right? But what happens if you really like it? You're like, how was the restaurant? You're like, it was awesome. We as Americans, especially California, we're like, everything is awesome, right? Brand new kitten is awesome. A really good taco is awesome. Disneyland with no lines is awesome. A brand new, you know, MacBook Pro that's awesome. Whatever. We get this idea. Everything is awesome. Getting married is awesome. Having sex is awesome. All of these things are awesome. But good is something that is just, eh. We trivialize it. It's just something, again, that is not what I think we tend for it to be. And then oftentimes things can get moralized. Where those that do their good, they tend to look down upon others as morally superior. Well, I'm good. You're not. I voted left. You voted right. I'm better than you. I'm looking down upon you. I voted right, and you voted left. I'm more morally superior to you. I'm taking the, the more good route, and you are the less good route. Uh, it leads to sort of this moralization. It's the image that comes to my mind when Jesus says, you know, two people come to the temple. One guy comes, and he prays, and this one guy, he's uh, impoverished. He beats his chest. He's like, Lord, have mercy upon me. The other guy comes in. He's a Pharisee. He's got everything seems to be going right for him. He walks in. He's like, God, I think that I'm good. I'm not like this horrible 
human being over here, right, beating his chest. That's a moral superiority. And what Jesus is doing is dismantling that. He's saying that is not good. No matter how good you think that you may are or that you're, the good that you are adopting or living according to, no matter how, if that makes you feel morally superior, it's actually an evil. You need to hear that. So when you go on your Facebook rants and you think you are good and you're demeaning and demoralizing and destroying other human beings made in God's image, I don't care how high and morally superior you think you are, it's actually an evil. You're completely defeating the very thing that Jesus is trying to bring forth in this world. It's an evil. It's not good. So with that being said, what I want to do right now is I want to just jump into uh, some biblical goodness definitions. But before I do, I want to just end with this final thought. Whether things have been individualized, legalized, trivialized, moralized, or secularized, at the end of the day, that construct of goodness paints for us a picture of goodness that's at best confusing, at worst, utterly exhausting. Confusing or exhausting or somewhere in between. When everybody has their own definition or viewpoint of goodness, at some point, somebody's going to walk away and be like, I am so confused. My head is spinning. I cannot keep track of what's good anymore. And what I want to do right now is I want to finish with this final thought in terms of what does Scripture have to teach us with regard to goodness? Because again, going back to the text, Peter says, look, when people mistreat you as followers of Jesus, living in this culture, trying to make sense of following Jesus rightly, do good do good to those around you. So what does that mean that Peter wants for us to understand? So there's a lot of content on here. Apologize for that. So just go ahead and follow along with me if you would. If you want to think of it this way, I want to give a little bit of a definition of what goodness is. But first I want to jump in and think about two different words that are used at least in the New Testament to describe the word goodness. So first of all is the one that's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. It's the word kalos, kalos. Uh, listen to it again in the context. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by seeing your good deeds, the word good deeds is the Greek word kalos. The other word is the word agasoth. Aga, agathosune, make it sound, sound, sound confident, Brian. Sound confident. Okay. Agathosune, uh, it's a big idea there. Is, and that's another passage, a word that actually gets used in the, in the book of Galatians where Paul talks about, you know, this is the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness. So what he's suggesting is that this type of goodness, this goodness is something that is actually birthed. It's part of the fruit of God's spirit. In other words, if you were asked this question, what does it look like to be a person that is completely living bound by the Holy Spirit of God, where the Holy Spirit is oozing out of your life, what does it look like? Goodness. Not Facebook rants, not condescension, not moral superiority, not rudeness. Goodness. Looks like goodness. That's where Peter's saying, look, when people mistreat you, revolt. Yeah, revolt. But revolt with goodness. With goodness. It's totally different. Do you understand why Jesus seems to be controversial? Because every part of our fiber says, crush your enemy. Drop a bomb on those that have dropped bombs on you. Do all of this wickedness upon those that have done wickedly against you. And Jesus says, no, that's not my kingdom. My kingdom is different. It's going to make enemies. 
And when those enemies arise, how do you treat those enemies? Goodness, apparently. Do you understand why the Christian life is tough? It's hard. I think it was G.K. Chesterton that said something like, the Christian life has not been tried and found hard, but it hasn't been really tried. It hasn't really been tried. And I'm totally botching the quote, but you get the idea. It hasn't, it hasn't really been tried. It really has not been lived out. It's been found hard and therefore been avoided. It's tough. People hear stuff like this and they're like, oh my gosh, this seems ridiculous. What a horrible religion. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to create some sort of militaristic religion. Slap God label on it and then just call that Christianity or whatever. But the point that I'd make is that that's, that's not consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So what is goodness? Goodness is the fulfilling of the purpose for which something was created by God. So if you want to think of it this way, the notion of good cannot be separated from the idea of something's purpose. So good, according to scripture, is when something actually fulfills the very purposes and reasons, meanings for which God created it to fulfill. We can use the word from philosophy, the telos of something, the end game, the aim of something. That's, that's what true good is. What happens if you take something that was intended by God to function a certain way and you distort it and tweak it and mess it up and rebrand it? Well, it's no longer good. I don't care what you say. It's no longer good. I don't care if you slap a sticker on it and call it good. I don't care if you vote and say it's good. It is never, ever, at some point, the bearings will begin to grind against each other, each other and it will fall apart and break down. Some things take longer to fall apart and break down than others, but at some point, the very telos, the means, the purpose for which it was created has been circumvented and redefined. And this is what the idea of goodness is. I'll give you some examples of this and I'll wrap it up. Mark chapter 9, verse 15, 50 says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will it be salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The word good is what we get right here, the word kelos, the idea of goodness. Salt is good because it has a purpose. You know, it's like a, preser- it's a preservation material. It brings life into otherwise dull food. Um, but what happens if it's no longer salty? I didn't know that salt can actually lose its saltiness, but apparently if it does, it's no longer serving its purpose for which it was created, fulfilled. And therefore, it's no longer functioning as it should have been. So Jesus then says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with another. It's really interesting when you listen to some of the things that Jesus is suggesting. Well, again, uh, his, he seems to be implying that like humanity is intended to be at peace with one another. Have we attained that goal yet? Not quite. Just watch YouTube, news, read the newspaper, if you still do that. But the point of the matter is, is that these things just are not the way they should be in our world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what Jesus seems to be suggesting is that doing good deeds seems to be this signpost that points to the good God of heaven. Listen to what Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 says. A good tree uh, will have good fruit. A bad tree will have bad fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. So obviously a good tree, a tree that has good stock, that's planted in good soil, that has good sunlight, good nutrients, it will produce reasonably good fruit. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, this is that agathosune verse or word where he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. 
faithfulness. And he draws this connection between goodness comes forth from our lives by not forcing it, but by being connected to the Holy Spirit, the, the, the power of God, the source of God, the very presence of God, it begins to flow. And then one final verse I want to finish with this is Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This is the story when Peter goes to the house of this you know, Roman dignitary guard, and as he's having this conversation with them, he's giving to him now a little bit of a series or a synopsis of Jesus' life. And here's what he says. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power who brought and who went around doing good. There's a, was a word, us. Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what's really fascinating about this passage is it tells us very clearly what goodness looks like when it's lived out. Goodness looks like going around doing good. You know, this is not just simply random acts of kindness, but it is, it is that in a sense. It's like actually going around looking for those places and those areas and those people that have been broken or hurt or wounded and somehow redignifying those that have lost dignity. Rehumanizing those who have been dehumanized by the consequences of sin or starvation or brokenness or pain or whatever. This is what Jesus does. So there's a connection between good and the goodness that Jesus brings forth and the fact that this is all part of the Holy Spirit working. Again, think Galatians chapter 5. And then connected to the fact that Jesus heals all that were oppressed by the devil. So think about it this way. What, What does a life look like that is oppressed by the devil? Suicidal? Depressed? Cutting, oppressed by the devil. Do you know people like that? Are you that? This is powerful. Because we have a God that actually cares about every little emotion. Disjointed emotion that you have. Or that your child has. Or that your parent has. Or that someone in your life, your good friend has, that goes through. Jesus actually cares about these things. And his aim is to do good. How? By casting out those demonic, oppressive terrorizers that lead to these dehumanizing aspects of life. And he cares about them. Steps into the pain, the hardship, the suffering, the trauma. He's not put off by it. He's not running away from it. He's not concerned about his reputation or what others might think about him. Hanging out with with the prostitute. Or a harlot or a whore. He doesn't really care about that. All he cares about is getting to the one that is deeply traumatized and in pain and showing them goodness. So I don't know where you're at even thinking about this. God was with Jesus. God is with us as we do good. What happens when we claim the claim of Jesus and yet we go out and do evil and bad? Well, at some point it's just like it's, it, we are not being true. To not only the one who loved us and gave himself to us, but we're not showing the proper colors that we've been given to show. Goodness. It's the path. And what Peter's going to continue to do now for the next upcoming weeks is going to show us how goodness is to be lived out in each of these specific arenas of life with, with regard to being foreigners, exiles in our world, people that constantly feel like maybe we're on the outside. 
We're on the margin. We're never fully part of the household. We never really feel like we're fully citizens. We never feel fully at home in this world. But he has a way of addressing how we're to live out in the goodness of that. So my hope for you this morning, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, would be that you would sense and know the goodness of God that's here right now, that wants to show forth his goodness to you right now. So in closing, what I'm going to do is I want to invite us all to stand. We're actually just going to wrap this up right now. I want to pray over us. And the way I want to do this is I want to ask you to think about, are there areas in your life right now um, that you just need prayer for? I'm not going to necessarily single you out or pray for you, but I'm just going to ask you, like, what, what are those areas in your life right now? Are there things that maybe you need to confess before God? Areas of fragileness or brokenness or areas that you just have felt specifically traumatized in your life that you would really associate maybe and identify with those that are terrorized by the evil one. Man, Jesus wants to meet you right where you are at in the midst of all of that. Why? Because he's a good, good father without sounding really cliche. He's a good, good father father who cares for you who loves you who wants to show himself strong in your behalf who truly wants to reorient the areas of brokenness in your life because of his incredible love for you so i don't want to close our eyes and in this final practice just maybe even in the quietness of your own heart just talk to your father just tell him what you're feeling right now if you feel pain, hurt, sorrow, sadness, anxiety, maybe anger, confusion, just speak that to him. God, this is what I feel. This is where my heart is aching right now. This is what I'm longing for, Lord, but I don't have. This is what I have, but I don't want. Just confess it to him. I open this service by saying, this is the house of God. His house is to be a house of prayer. And wherever you're at, whatever prayers you are praying right now, my hope would be that there would be a confidence that you know that you are being heard. I'm going to pray over you right now that God would just give you a sense of his presence in your life. So, Father, right now, for each and every person in this room, in each and every person that's online, watching or tuning in, God, right now, we pray that you would speak to us. Show us your nearness. That you are not a God that's a far away. That you are a God that is indifferent towards our pain, our hurt, our anxieties, our sorrow. The things that we have faced. Our grievances. All of these are things, Lord, that you are deeply, deeply familiar with. And God, would you right now just remind us of your nearness. We thank you, God, for Jesus. That even though he was despised and rejected, though like a sheep led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Though he was betrayed and hated, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. This is the love that is at the very base of the Christian faith that we right now, God, say we, we want. We want in our lives. 
We want in on that narrative. We want that narrative to take our hearts and our souls and our lives, no matter how broken or messed up they are, and rewire us, Lord, to become people that are like you, to become goodness people. We thank you, Jesus, for how much you love us. So right now, as we scatter, as we leave, God, would you empower us to be people, that everywhere we go, that we would just be goodness people, be a part of a culture, subculture, a counterculture of goodness, a goodness revolution, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Listen, and if you haven't done so yet, call your dad. (laughs) Tell him. Tell him he's awesome, or maybe if you don't have a relationship with him and he's not been awesome, I don't know. I'm not sure what to say. And just give him a call and say, hey, praying for you. I realize that might be painful. It may have been triggering, so I apologize. <laughs> but you guys have a wonderful week, and may God strengthen you as you guys step into this world and be a part of God's goodness project in this world. God bless you. Have a good one. See you.